Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger of Story Point Church, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. And now, here's Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger for this week's message from Story Point Church. Amen. Thank you. Open your Bibles if you go to John chapter 5. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever wondered if Christianity could be simpler? I mean, it might sound like a serious question, but I've thought about that a lot. It seems as though there's so much to remember. I mean, you got to remember to pray, and you got to remember to read the Bible, and you got to remember to worship together, and you got to remember to be holy, and you got to remember to love other people, and you have to remember to share the gospel, and you have to remember, and you have to remember, and it's like, wait a minute, this is too hard, this is too much. What if, what if it was actually much simpler? What if there was one question that you could ask each day throughout the day that would, would, would help you that if you answered that question well, you would be fulfilling everything within your faith? Wouldn't it make it a lot better? You want to know the question? Here's the one question. If you'll ask when you wake up, and through your day, and when you rest at night, it will change everything. Ready? Ask the question, does this please my Father? See, the whole of the Scripture is found in that simple question. You say, well, how is that possible? How can we talk about, about evangelism, and about theology, and about Bible study? How can the one question, does this please my Father, how, how does that fulfill everything in Scripture? Well, it's because that's what Jesus did when he was on earth. In your Bibles, in John chapter 5, I want to, be, I want to show you a few verses in the Gospel of John where we're told that this is how Jesus lived. He lived by asking the question, does this please my Father? And if the answer was yes, he did. And if the answer was no, he didn't do it. It's really that simple. And we know that we're supposed to do it because the scripture reminds us that we're to be like Jesus. We'll get to that in a moment. In John chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, just imagine this is Jesus' voice here. Truly I tell you, the Son is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son likewise does these things. So Jesus clearly said to his disciples and to those listening, I only do what I see my father doing. If you skip down to verse 30, Jesus said, I can do nothing on my own. I judge only as I hear and my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Turn to, to chapter 6. In chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus again says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And so multiple times throughout the Gospels, we find Jesus making this statement. I've only come to do my Father's will. I don't act on my own accord. I only act on what he says. I only do what pleases the Father. So why would this question be so important? Well, let me say that the question is so important because of what the question says about your relationship with God. 
So the question is, does this please my father? Does this? We're asking, Lord, this next step, is this, is this something that pleases you? So it's, it, it's premeditated. It means that he's not an afterthought. He's not an addition to our life. He's actually the driver in the center and in the, in the forefront of our life. Does this please Say, well, what does it mean to please? And why would pleasing the Father be so important? Because if you're pleasing the Father, it means that you're doing what the Father asked you to do. It means that you're doing what is right rather than what is wrong or what is simply selfish. So does this please my? My is important, not this. My is important, or not the. Because the Father means he's the father of somebody else. My father means it's personal. It's my father. He is my father. And because he is my father, there's a relationship there. And then the word father. Father perhaps is a term that you have trouble with, or at least some people have trouble with, because your illustration of father here on earth was not the best illustration. But the thing about God the Father is this. He's the perfect Father. There's nothing in Him that you could go back and and say, that's not a good Father. Everything about Him is perfect in every way. Even the things that we don't understand about Him. So again, the question, does this please my Father? That's what Jesus asked Now, maybe not in those exact words, but essentially when he's saying, I've only come to do the will of my father, that's what he's saying. Whatever my father wants is what I want. You realize that Jesus didn't have to do that. Jesus could have done whatever he wanted. On the cross, he could have called 10,000 angels to come and rescue him. He could have broken the, the chains of the soldiers who had him tied to a whipping post. He could have answered every single accusation against him. And he was so good with his words. He could have just demolished every argument when he was being falsely accused before Herod and Pilate. He easily could have escaped any and every situation that he was ever in that wasn't a good situation. I say that in quotes because it wasn't good for him, but it was good for you and for me. He could have done any of those things, but he chose not to. Why? Because he wanted to simply please his father. Now, what did pleasing the father get him? He got him deaf. It brought him to the cross. But here's the thing. We, as God's people, oftentimes treat God as if he's sending us to a cross. We don't want to say yes to God. We don't want to Please the Father because we're afraid that His goal is to make our life miserable. It's almost like we have this perverted, uh, uh, weird, twisted idea that God is a Father who just wants to punish us and make our lives miserable. And so as a result, we're going to hold some things back. We're going to keep, keep our distance and we're not going to be too forthcoming with our yeses to God till we know exactly what it is He wants from us and how much it's going to cost us, Right? There's an old song, don't send me to Africa. I'll do anything but that. We have this weird idea that if we say yes to God, if we say, God, whatever pleases you, I'll do. He's going to just wring his hands and go, now I'm going to make you miserable. Time out for just a moment. If you have a child, are you a good mother? Are you a good father? I mean, mean, is is that what you do to your kids? 
just make their lives miserable? That, that's what you live for? You live to, to make their lives awful and difficult? Is that what you do? Now, I know the answer behind a smile is like, well, sometimes, to be honest with you. Okay, but, but the truth is, any good mother and father would do anything and everything they can do so that their child rate grows up to be a mature, wise, well-adjusted, decent human being, right? Every good mother and father wants, wants his or her child to grow up with respect and with discipline and with success. Every good mother and father wants his child to grow up and be happy and be satisfied and be, and be full of life, right? So if that's what you and I want for our kids, why would we think that God is opposite of that? Does that make any sense whatsoever? So if God really is a good, good, the kind of father we just sang about, why would we not say to him, I just want to please my father. That's all I want. We wouldn't say that to him because oftentimes we have a transactional relationship with God, not a loving relationship with God. We have a transactional relationship, which means I have said yes to Jesus so that I won't die and go to hell. I have prayed the prayer and asked Jesus into my life because I'm told that if I'll do that, then my life will be good and I'll be happy and I'll be successful. And when I die, I won't pay for the penalty of my sin. Now, there is truth in that, but that's not what it's all about. Your relationship with God is not a contract. It's a relationship. It's God saying, I want you to be in my family. And you get all the rights and privileges. All the joys and struggles of being a part of my family. He says, when you're a part of my family, you need to know that I own all the Cattle on a thousand hills. Now, that's not a phrase that we really get because we're not farmers, most of us. Some of us have some farming background. But what that means is our daddy ain't poor. He's richer than rich. He owns everything. And not only does he own everything, but he oversees and he controls. And he even keeps things living and breathing. He is all of these things. He is God, the sovereign God. And yet if that's our father and he invites us into our family, then it makes sense that we're in a family of, of great success, but we're also in a family who has enemies or rather an enemy. And the enemy is the prince of the power of the air. What the Bible says is the devil himself. And so the enemy is constantly going to be at work trying to undermine the family of God, trying to destroy the family of God. Now, we know who wins in the end. Amen. We know that the book tells us that no one will stand before God and, and, and beat him. Nobody will overcome. Nobody will overpower God the Father. But we know that while we're on this earth, there is evil that exists. And so as part of God's family, we're also in a world where evil exists. And he's using us as part of his family to push back the darkness and to help other people be a part of his family. And so we know this to be the case because in John chapter 17, this is what Jesus said. 
He says, I have glorified you on earth. This is Jesus talking to his father. Remember, he's praying. He's in this, this moment of deep communication, a communion with his father. He says, I have glorified you on earth. Listen, by completing the work you gave me to do. What work did he give him to do? Well, he tells us in verse 24, 25, and 26. He says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am so that they will see my glory, which you have given me because you love me before the world's foundation. Righteous Father, the world has not known you. However, I have known you, and they have known that you sent me. I made your name known to them and will continue to make it known. So that the love you have loved me with may be in them and that I may be in them. Jesus tells his father as he's praying, he says, Father, I've completed the work. I've done my job. Everything you've called me to do, I have done it. I have pleased you, Father. His work was to reveal the Father to us. So that we don't have a transactional relationship the Old Testament was a transactional relationship. It was a covenant still built on faith, but it was largely transactional. The, 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 Jew, the, the, the Israelites had to do things as a demonstration of their faith. Now, again, it was built on faith, but it was, it was very... Uh, the people didn't know God in the same way that you and I get to know God. But because of Jesus, because he revealed himself to us because he lived the life that that he lived because he died and then rose again you and I know exactly what the father is like we know everything about God that we need to know to live our life everything how do we know it because Jesus came and showed us he said I've completed the work I've done what you've called me to do I've revealed to them who you are he was the mediator. He was the bridge. And so, so many people live their life afraid of what God is going to do in them or through them. And so they, they have this transactional relationship. And the first question they ask is, tell me what? And then I'll give you an answer. And I want to say that that's not the way we're supposed to live. We're supposed to live on this side saying, Father, does it please you? And if that answer is yes, then my answer is yes. Think of how much simpler your life would be if you simply asked this question. Does this please my father? When you come to a fork in the road, do I go left or do I go right? Well, does the left way please my father? Does the right way please my father? Quite often, that'll give you your answer. Sometimes the answer will be both of them pleases the Father. Guess what? You are released to go either road there. Why? Because if they both please the Father, and if your heart is simply to please the Father, no matter which road you go, you're pleasing the Father. And chances are, the road's going to go like this anyways. Think about how difficult we make it. Lord, I want to know your will on this. I want to know your will. God is going, wait a minute, my will is that you live. And that as you go, you make disciples, because that's what pleases me. That you tell my story, that you enjoy life. That, that you are life to people. That you, 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 you speak words of encouragement and life, that you live the gospel. 
That you love those who aren't loved. That you show mercy to those who need mercy. That you lavish grace after grace after grace upon people. That's what I want as your father. And if you'll do that, I'm going to bless you. So we think, though, that saying yes to the Father means God is going to send us to a cross, like a literal physical cross. And the answer to that is sometimes yes. Because sometimes there's more that comes out of death than comes out of life. And if my goal is to please the Father, it doesn't matter if I wind up on a cross because my life will have been spent with everything in me for God's own glory and pleasure. But can I just tell you that he's not really calling most of us to die on a cross? I mean, let's just be real. There are people who give their life for the gospel every day, even now. But most of us are not going to give our life for the gospel. Jesus wants us to live for him. He's already died. Right? For most of us, he just wants us to live for him. Now, if our life happens to wind up in something like that then to God be the glory. But for most of us, he wants us to live a life that, that, that is exemplary of what it means to know this kind of a father. But here's the cool part. When your heart and your attitude says, I just, I just want to do what pleases my father, then wherever you go, it doesn't matter. Because you have the joy and the hope and the comfort of knowing that God, imagine this, is smiling upon you. There's no guilt there. There's no sorrow there. There's no regret there. There's, there's really not any sadness there. There might be a twinge maybe from a human perspective, but from an eternal perspective... Listen, it's why in Acts chapter 7, Stephen, as he was being stoned by the crowd, the Bible tells us that his face scared everybody because it shone with the glory of God. Why? Because he was doing what pleased his father. You say, wait a minute, how does Stephen's death please the father? It's because through his death, God raised up a multitude of missionaries. One of which was a man by the name of Saul, who later became Paul. I'm convinced that that moment in Saul's life was a transitional moment for him. We, I don't know that for certain, but I can tell you that while he was standing there seeing the glory of God on this man Stephen's face as he was being stoned, knowing what I know about Paul, it had to have shaken him to the core. How does this man do that? In the midst of such suffering, yet still honoring Jesus. There must be more to this Jesus than I thought. So what does it take for us to ask the question? By the way, when I die, I want to hear these words. Or I want to be able to say these words. John chapter 17. I want to be able to say, Father, I have glorified you on the earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. Do you know that God has given you a work? Do you know that God. Since before you were even a thought. In your mother's mind. Or before you were even formed in your mother's womb. He has given you a work. The Bible says that all of your days. Have been formed and known. Before they ever came to be. 
That means you have a purpose and you have something that God has given to you as part of his kingdom and as part of his family. I want to be able to say, God, I finished the work. Now, to be honest with you, sometimes I wonder if my work, does, does it even matter? You ever wonder that? I mean, does my work even matter? Am I doing anything that makes any difference whatsoever? And when we had the pastor's conference a couple weeks ago, I, we were talking a little bit about this, how, how we, we wrestle with, with importance and, and meaning and, and doing something that matters, you know. And so often we, we, we think about how, how in order to really matter, we've got to be on a big stage and we've got to have thousands and millions of people know our name. And, you know, I, I read something or I heard somebody the other day that, say, that said that David Brainerd, may have been one of the most influential believers in all of Christian history. You know who that is? He, he influenced the mighty men and women of God of the faith for the last hundred, couple of hundred years. You know what he was known for? Praying. Go look up his, his autobiography or his story. He was a man who simply knew how to pray. He didn't pastor in front of YouTube. He didn't have thousands come and listen to him. But in matter of fact, he died in his early 30s. I think I got that story right. I might be confusing two stories. Go back and look it up. Verify it. But his life, as short as it might have been, impacted hundreds upon thousands. Why? Because he completed the work the Father gave him to do. And what I'm calling you to do, because I believe God is calling you to do this. Find the work God has called you to do and then do it with all of your heart. The way you find that work is by saying, does this please my father? You don't have to worry about tomorrow. You don't have to worry about next year. All you have to worry is about the next minute of your life. And this works for not only what you were called to do for your father, but it also works for what you're called to stay away from. When you're tempted to do something you shouldn't do, does this please my father? That's a pretty good one, ain't it? When you're tempted to think something or watch something or do something, does this please my father? If the answer is yes, then do it. Because if it pleases the father, you've got a green light. If the answer is no, don't. If the answer is I don't know, don't. Err on the side of, of love. So what does it take to please your father? Or, excuse me, what does it take to ask this question? Very simple. Number one, he has to be your father. This doesn't work if it's, what do I need to do? Or, or does this please the father? Here's why it doesn't work. Because God is interested in a relationship with you before he's interested in you doing something for him. If you're not a part of his family, then you're outside of his family. You're not covered under the grace of God. So if you're outside of his family, what he wants you to do is become a part of his family by trusting in Jesus. And it's really very simple. It's by grace that you're saved through faith, not of your works, so that none of us can boast. It literally is responding to the love that God has already lavished upon you. Now, the interesting thing about him being our father is this. He's not, my, he's not the same father. Let me say it differently. I don't see him the same 
kind of father today as I saw him when I was first saved. So when I was young, when I was first born again, I was saved, I was born again largely for me. I want you to go back to when you were a child. Remember when you were a baby? Yeah, you don't, do you? Why? Because the baby's a very simple thing. They eat, they sleep, they cry, they poop. Pretty much their life, right? A baby is all about himself. He doesn't care if you're tired. He doesn't care if you don't have any money. He doesn't care if you've been working all day. All that baby wants is what he or she wants right then, right now. And sometimes they like to play games on us by not telling us what they want, but just yelling. Right? They play that, hey, guess what my problem is today? You ever had that? Are you hungry? Ah, I don't know what to do, right? You remember feeling that way? I felt that way a lot as a, as, as a, as a dad. So a baby, though, no, doesn't love his mom and dad. I, I, I say this, you know, I, I don't remember this time, but I'm just logically thinking, out. I don't really love my mom and dad. I love me because I'm all I know, but I also know that mom and dad provide for me, so there's some sort of relationship, but it's very transa- It's very one way. But as I grow up, as I learn about who my mom and dad are, I begin to develop this love for them because what they've done for me. But then I start to know who they are and I start to love the deeper things about them. And so as I grow up as a child and into a young adult and into an adult, my love switches to where now I don't need a present from my my dad. My mom has died, but I don't need a present I don't, I don't need them to give me stuff. I, I, I just appreciate the relationships. Does that make sense? I just want the conversation. I just want to be present with them. I, I've got what I need. I just I, I want that, that, that presence. Your relationship with God the Father is the same way. Or it should be. That's why Paul was saying in Scripture, he said, Look, you guys are still on milk. You should be on meat. In other words, you're still looking for what you can get from God. You need to be looking at how you can relate to God. Really, what you can give to God, not what you can get from Him. So you've got this transaction that starts, that turns into a love relationship. And the more that love relationship grows, the more you begin to trust because the love that you receive is the love that you can't receive anywhere else. How can you ask the question, does this please my Father? First, you have to have a relationship. Number two, you have to believe that he is who he says he is. You've got to switch your thinking. He's not just, he's not, he's not Santa Claus in the sky. He's not the guy to get you out of trouble. He's not the guy to give you peace and hope and patience. He's God, the Father, creator of the universe, all sovereign one, all powerful, almighty, and yet knows your name and worthy of your love. That's who he is. So you have a relationship. You know who he is. You believe who he is. But then you desire to love him the way he Loves you. And let me show you something really cool that I saw this week in this. So Jesus said, the, oh, actually, yeah. So Jesus said, the work that I came to do, I completed. And the work that he came to do is found in 24, 25, and 26. Go to verse 26 with me. 17, 26 of John. 
I made your name known to them and will continue to make it known. Listen to this. So that the love you have loved me with may be in them and I may be in them. Did you hear what he said? That the love that God has loved Jesus with is the same kind of love that is inside of us. What kind of love did God the Father have for his son? It was an inexplainable, indescribable love. It's a love that we can't even put words to. And yet Jesus prayed, Father, would you put the love that you have for me inside of them? The way that you are able to love God is that God has loved you first and you've experienced that love. And that love has done something inside of you that it just explodes out of you. So if you know God, God's love is in you and it grows in you. The more you are able to hear his voice and know his character and his nature. It is... It is a circle, if you will. Follow me on this. God loves me. And because he loves me, I begin to love him. But as I begin to love him, he begins to show me some things about himself, about who he is, which makes me love him more, which makes him show me more about himself, which makes me love him more. And it goes around and around. Does that make sense? It goes around and around and around. Before long, I want to know God more than I want to know anything else. Because the love of the Father is inside of me. That's why Jesus said, if you say that you love God, but you hate your brother, you are a liar and the truth is not in you. Because there's not a soul on this planet that you will look into their eyes and God not love them. That's why when you see people... You have a hard time talking poorly of them when God's love is fully enriched inside. It's fully grasped your heart. You cannot not love people. You cannot not have mercy. You cannot not show kindness. You cannot not show grace. Why? Because all of that's inside of you and it just has to come out. Because the love that God had for Jesus is the love that God now has inside of you. And God's love always has an outlet. Does that make sense? Here's how you know that this is not just something for Jesus, but it's something for you and me. John chapter 14, verse 22 or 23. Jesus answered. He's speaking to Judas here. Jesus answered, it says, if anyone loves me, this is, this is a litmus test of sorts. If anyone loves me, if you say you love me, then your love will be obvious. How? If you say you love me, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. But the one who doesn't love me will not keep my words. Whether or not you love God is evident by whether or not you are obedient to God's word. Now, that's a scary thing because, because all of us probably wrestle with obeying God. All of us wrestle with saying yes to God in some things and 
and, and maybe some things are easy, but some things are really hard. And some things God has spoken to us and we're like, no, I'm not going to do that. You can ask me to do anything, but I'm not doing that. What that reveals is that you don't love God or I don't love God the way that I say that I do. So what do we do about that? Well, again, God places his love inside of us. And as we respond to that love, God gives us, he doesn't give us more of his love. That's not the right way to say it. I think we get all of God's love we'll ever get. But as we respond to that love, to that love we see more of his love. And then we respond to that and we see more of it. And the more we see, the more we want to respond. But as we say no, what we're doing, every time you and I say no to God, we are rejecting God's love. Because if you believe God is good, then why would you, then, then God is not going to call you or ask you to do anything that's not going to be good for you. Even if it led to a cross. You say, well, how was that good? Had Jesus not died on a cross, you and I would not be able to be born again. We would not know God. So was his death good? Absolutely, because his death brought us life. He glorified the Father, and in doing so, he gave us hope. In your life, you can say yes to God and know with all confidence that whatever, whatever you're saying yes to is good. And it's right. And even though it may not seem like it, it will lead to the best possible scenario or life for you. That's a guarantee. May not look like it again. But God is a good, good father. So I want to bring this all back to the, to the, the initial question. Is, is, is life hard for you? Is it tough? You're confused. Are you wondering, how do I do this? How do I do that? Which way do I go? Go back to this one simple question. Does this please my father? The answer is yes. Do it. You say, well, what if I make a mistake? You see, that's the thing. God sees your heart. And even if you made a misstep, doing it, thinking it was pleasing the father, because he is a good, good father, he says, you know what? Let me redirect you because I know that your heart. How do we know God looks at the heart? Because all of Scripture tells us man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Your motives matter. Your motives matter. Why? Because love is the motive. God, I just want to love you. You know, Shannon and I have, have, have said, I've said it publicly, I've said it privately. I don't care where I go, what I do, how much I get paid, how comfortable it is, how uncomfortable it is. None of that really, truly matters. The only thing that matters is, is this what God wants me to do? And if I know that that's what God wants me to do, then he knows my yes has already been given. It's a blank check. That's it. Now, when he tells me, do I not sometimes go, whoa, time out, wait a minute. I, I'm not, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm human too, but I just want to please the Father. Isn't that what you want to? 
Will you take a moment, close your eyes and bow your head? If you're here today and He is the Father, but He's not your Father, will you trust Jesus right now? The Bible says that your sin condemns you. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. If you will yield to God's love in your life. God will save you. You know... A prayer like this, the attitude of your heart, obviously, is what's important. But a prayer like, God, I know that I am a sinner. And I know that I don't deserve your love. But I know that you love me. And I know that you died on a cross so that my sin would be canceled. I trust you right now. I ask you to save me. And I ask you to make me your child. In Jesus' name.